You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Sadly, one of the most talked about moments this year happened back in March. I was laying in bed and I popped on Twitter and I saw that the name Will Smith was trending. Now, I know uh, not a lot of us watch the Oscars. I certainly don't either. We all know what happened, so I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to slap a dead horse this morning. But uh, <laughs> silver lining in all of this was when Denzel Washington and Tyler Perry came and they huddled around Will Smith and there was a lot of talk and later on Will Smith gets up and he gives his acceptance speech for best actor and in the speech he thanks Denzel for the little pep talk earlier and he says that Denzel told him at your highest moment be careful that's when the devil comes for you a few days later Denzel shared a little bit more about what he said and he said, he said this, well, there's a saying, when the devil ignores you, then you know you're doing something wrong. You know the devil goes, oh no, leave him alone. He's my favorite. Don't bother him. Conversely, when the devil comes at you, maybe it's because you're trying to do something right. And for whatever reason, the devil got a hold of that circumstance that night. Now, I'm not excusing Will Smith this morning, but Denzel is speaking some truth here. He's drawing from his own experience, and he's also drawing from a concept we call spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is essentially the reality that there is a conflict, an invisible, unseen conflict between spiritual good and spiritual bad. Now, here in the West, we probably struggle with this concept, but in most places in the world, this isn't unusual. It helps people to make sense of the reality in which they live. Now, in the Gospels, as we read the pages of the Gospels, Jesus himself definitely believes in this reality of spiritual warfare. He believes in this unseen spiritual reality. And in fact, he spends a large part of his ministry, as we read the pages of the Gospels, in direct conflict with the demonic. And as the rest of the New Testament picks up, it picks up right where he left off. It explains that our lives as believers in him can be marked by struggle. A struggle against our own sin, that which was within us, a struggle against the brokenness of this world, and also a struggle, a spiritual struggle, a war against unseen spiritual realities. But what we see over and over and over again in the pages of the scriptures, especially in our passage this morning, is that the call as believers in Jesus Christ, the call is to engage in this fight, that we need to be strong in the Lord. We need to live in his strength. At the end of the day, the truth is, is that the battles are coming. There's no escaping it. And unlike things like materialism and sexual sin, where we're told to flee, to run to the hills, in these deeply spiritual battles, we're told to face it head on. 
to stand, to resist, to dig our boots into the ground, to not run, to face it not with a proud independence, but a humble confidence, a confidence in his strength, a confidence in his power. And so that's really where I'm going this morning. It's the main point of this passage, and it's the main point of this sermon. It's going to be right from this passage. And the main idea is this. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I get that right from verse 10. That is, right now, this evening, Tuesday night, Thursday night, tomorrow morning, next weekend, all the time, be strong in him. You'll have battles to face. They're coming, and they're not fought with a proud independence, but a humble confidence as we rest in all of his power. Now, my outline is pretty simple. It'll also be up on the screen, and it will flow right from the text. Number one, whom we fight. Number two, what we fight. And number three, how we fight. Now, for those of you who are new this week, if you're saying, uh-oh, is this one of those really weird churches? Well, the truth is, yes, we're, we're very weird at this church, but not that kind of weird. Uh, there are no poisonous snakes. We don't have any divine or magical handkerchiefs. We're in the book of Ephesians, and Ephesus is a city that is fascinated with the occult, with magic, with spirits. It's Bourbon Street, it's WandaVision, it's Nepal on steroids. It's not like places like, say, Athens that we find in the Bible or Thessalonica, where we don't see much overt spiritual action. Ephesus is very different. It's in your face. And Paul is writing the new church there, and what he's trying to tell them, what he's trying to remind them, is that in Jesus, he has all of the spiritual power. That in the name of Jesus, there is ultimate spiritual power that Jesus Ephesians 1:21 is far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in this present age but also in the one to come and as Paul closes out this letter he reminds us of our first point whom we fight verse 12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, Paul has been beat up a lot for being a Christian. He's wrestled against flesh and blood. He's been chased out of cities. He's been wrongly accused. He's been arrested. But notice what he says here. He says, in our wrestle, in our struggle with real evil, bad humans are not our final enemy. It's something else. There's something else behind flesh and blood, something unseen, something he calls here the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Said another way, what he's saying is that in many occasions, when you see humans participating in violence, in greed, in division, in war, in murder, in injustice, in slander, in deceit, in sin, 
And many of those occasions, what's behind that isn't just flesh and blood. It isn't just human willpower. Instead, they're participating. They're caught up in something that's way beyond them. The flesh and blood isn't just flesh and blood. As the great Emperor Palpatine says, the dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. The point is, is that we often look to corrupt politicians. We look at selfish businessmen, the haters, the broken relationships in our lives, and we say they're bad news. They're not good people. But we're reminded here that oftentimes these people are dupes. They're proxies. They're pawns. They're under the finger of the evil one. They're to blame for sure, yes. But until we see where this poison is coming from, we'll never know how to fix it. We'll never know how to rightly navigate the situation. Now, as mentioned, here in the West, we really struggle with this concept of spiritual warfare. Other places like Africa, Latin America, and Asia, they don't as much. But the Western mindset essentially wants to be able to say everything has a natural cause. Everything is either sociological or psychological. So if you meet somebody who is a pretty bad apple, the bottom line reason must be they weren't raised right, or they weren't educated right, or they grew up in bad social structures. Or if you meet somebody who is racist or is not right on the issues in your perspective, the bottom line reason must be they must have had a bad family life, or they must have had a backwards education. But in reality, if we ever are serious about wanting to defeat the darkness in our own hearts, the darkness in our family's hearts, the darkness in our city's heart, the darkness in our nation's heart, the darkness in our world's heart, if we ever want to be more serious about that, we need a more complex, nuanced understanding of what it is that we're fighting, not just default to our current Western view. Now, Christianity has no problem giving that nuanced view. The scriptures seem to indicate all throughout that there is a source of evil. It flows from the free will of two races that God created, angels and humans. The picture is that some of those angels chose to turn away from God and fall. These fallen angels, demons, Satan, the devil, they are personal, active, supernatural beings. And on the other hand, the other picture is that we as humans have chosen to turn away from God and fall. And now sin and degrees of evil reside within us. And so what Christianity says is yes, Psychological and sociological factors certainly can make an impact. They can shape, they can impact the raw material in our hearts. But those aren't the sources of evil. Because in our hearts there already exists self-centeredness and self-absorption and pride and insecurity and a loss of real identity. All that stuff's in the heart already. And it can be aggravated by Satan, by demons. That's what makes the world the way it is, says Christianity. Now, that aggravation, that frustration, 
really leads us to the second point of this morning, what we fight, what we fight. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, I know we have a lot of young guys at this church, so this may resonate with some of you, but there's a genre of video games out there called real-time strategy games. This is a little different than shooter games, like, say, Call of Duty, because you need a brain to be able to play these games. But in strategy games, think, think like chess or board games, you need to come up with tactics to beat your enemy. You have to watch. You have to wait. You have to outsmart and then strike. This word, word schemes here in verse 11 is that word strategies. The idea here is that in spiritual warfare, we're up against the strategies of Satan. He watches. He waits. He outsmarts. And he strikes. The Apostle Peter says he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's like a cat, which we all know are sneaky and evil. Now, the word here in verse 11, the word here in verse 11, devil, you see that right there in 11, is used to describe Satan often or demons often in the Bible. And it's helpful. It's a helpful word because it shows you their main strategy. The word devil is from the Greek word diabolos, which means slanderer or liar or deceiver. And this is the main strategy of Satan, to lie. This means that demonic activity at the end of the day is less about floating six feet above your bed with your head spinning, and it's more about what's already in you being aggravated by lies. And he lies by talking to you. Not literally most of the time, hopefully not, but by stimulating the talk that's going on inside of your heart, your spirit. He takes what's there or what's not there, and he goes to town. Now, the Bible really has two categories for this type of talk. Number one, temptations, and number two, accusations. The accuser uses temptations, and the tempter uses accusations. These are the types of lies that are embedded in every spiritual attack. In temptations, it's all about having too high a view of yourself and to go do the things you shouldn't do. It's about forgetting the holiness of God. And in accusation, it's all about having too low a view of yourself and to go do the things you shouldn't do. It's about forgetting the love of God. In temptation, Satan hides God's holiness from you. How much he hates sin. He hides that from you and he plays up the love. And in accusation, Satan hides God's love from you. He plays up God's holiness and God's wrath. And he hides God's love. In spiritual warfare, temptations, accusations start with lies. Satan leads us to think too high of ourselves or too low of ourselves, too little about the holiness of God, too much about the wrath of God, too high, too low, too little, too much. Now, if you're asking, how does this actually work? How does Satan actually tempt us? How does he actually accuse us? Well, there's a little book called Precious Remedies 
against Satan's devices. It's by a guy named Thomas Brooks. He wrote this book before C.S. Lewis wrote his book, The Screwtape Letters, and he lists several ways that these lies work. I'll list a few. First, in the temptation category, and then secondly, we'll look at the accusation category. So number one, temptations. He shows you the bait and hides the hook. That is, he pumps up the short-term pleasures of something and hides the miseries of what it will bring. We all know this one. Number two, he paints sin with the colors of virtue. You say to yourself, I'm not a gossip, I'm just concerned. I'm not greedy, I'm just smart with money. I'm not impatient, I just have really high standards. I'm not an alcoholic, I'm just a socialite. Number three, he shows you the sins of Christian leaders. He shows you the sins of Christian leaders. You say to yourself, if he did it, I'll do it. Or if it's not impacting her, is this actually even real? Number four, he overstresses the mercies of God. And in that moment, you say to yourself, everything's just going to be forgiven. Number five, he makes you bitter over suffering. He makes you bitter over suffering. And the voice goes like this. No one knows how many sacrifices I've made, so I deserve this. It's temptation. Number six, he shows you how bad people seem to have great lives. So the talk goes something like this. I may as well just dive in because playing by the rules doesn't pay off. It's all temptation. It's all lies. And these lies lead to death. It's downplaying the holiness of God. And it's lifting yourself up too high. It's pride. And it gives him a foothold. Now what about accusations? I just have four. Number one, by causing us to look at our sin more than our Savior. Brooks says famously, for every one look at your sin, you need to take five looks at your Savior. Number two, by causing us to look at past sins that have been done, that have done damage and cannot be undone. Number three, by causing us to think the troubles we are going through is God punishing us. And number four, by causing us to think real Christians couldn't possibly have the inner struggles and feelings I have, so you say, I may not be a real Christian. Do you recognize any of these in your life? He's playing you. He knows you. He will wedge lies into your heart. He wants to destroy you. He's a hunter. He'd rather have you not see him. He doesn't care about your recognition of him. He only cares about your destruction, your pain. These are the schemes, the strategies of the evil one, which really leads us to the final point this morning, how we fight. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all 
the Saints. Growing up in Buffalo, one middle school summer, my neighbors roped me into something called live action role-playing games, or LARP. If you know what this is, you are really, you're really a nerd. Uh, anyways, this is a very niche game played around the world. It's essentially based in fantasy or middle ages. You take on a character, and I guess you dress up as your different character. And you get like magic spells and swords and so on. You wear armor and you get different types of weapons. And the weapons are basically these kind of padded axes or swords. And you just kind of beat each other up. Uh, I remember I was told I was supposed to play a mage, which meant I didn't get to wear any armor. Uh, they gave me these little bean bags, and I was supposed to throw those at people. And if, if you got hit with a bean bag, you're supposed to pretend you're on fire or pretend you were, you were frozen. Now, uh, I mention all that because it's kind of weird, but the spiritual, the spiritual armor of God is not like a LARP game. This is a, this is a metaphor. There, these aren't each individual mysterious magical things like amulets or things we imagine to, to put on that would ward off uh, demons or evil spirits. There's seven distinct pieces here. And each of these seven pieces are ways of applying the gospel of Jesus Christ and living out the gospel by the power of the Spirit in our whole life. Now, the gospel means good news. It's the heart of the Bible, and it's the heart of the Christian faith. It's what this is all about. The gospel is that Jesus Christ went to a cross, and he died on a cross for our sins as our substitute. He took the penalty for all of our sin against God, against our neighbors, against ourselves, and he paid it in full. Which means when we trust in him, our guilt, our shame, our guilty record is placed on Jesus and absorbed there on the cross. And his righteousness in turn, his perfect record, his perfect life, his perfect faithfulness unto God is given to us. And the result is that we're loved that we're accepted, that we're welcomed by God. If you're a Christian, that means you walk around with these two facts in your mind at the same time. I'm a sinner. In myself, I'm lost. My sin was so great that the Son of God had to die for me. And at the same time, I am absolutely loved by God. I'm accepted by him forever and ever. There's nothing I can do to make him love me anymore. There's nothing I can make him do to love me any less. Now that first fact completely demolishes temptation. If we understand the gospel, we know the things we're tempted to do. Jesus died so we wouldn't do those things again. We can't have anything to do with that. And on the other hand, that second fact completely destroys accusation. We're completely loved and accepted by God. There's nothing that can separate us from his love. We have victory in Jesus Christ. We've been raised to life with him. It's the gospel. He's saying, put on the gospel. Live out the gospel. It's how you fortify yourself against the lies of the evil one. Where Jesus has been put on, we might say, by the power of the Spirit, his name, his power, his truth, allows us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
the belt of truth. He says, fasten it on. The belt's important because it would have held up the rest of the armor and the weapons. And truth in the Bible primarily isn't about a what, but it's about a who. He's saying, live out your identity in Jesus Christ. If you're in him this morning, the truest thing about you is that God loves you. He does. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any less. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any more. In Christ, you're forgiven. You are welcomed. You are accepted. It is in the past. It's done. It's finished. Trust him. The breastplate of righteousness we see that in verse 14. The breastplate would be important because it would have protected your vital organs. The idea here isn't primarily to be righteous. It is you are righteous. This is the gospel. That in Christ, he gives you his righteousness. Not that we perform for righteousness, but that we receive it as a gift. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might be the righteousness of of God. In the gospel, God covers our unrighteousness with a breastplate of righteousness. The idea there is live that out. Know in him we are righteous and live that out practically in your life. The shoes for your feet, the readiness of the gospel as shoes for your feet, verse 15. It's often said that the only offensive weapon here is the sword of the spirit. But our feet are weapons too. They carry us forward into battle and we overcome Satan by explaining and applying the gospel to our lives and other lives as well. The shield of faith, verse 16, it would have been really important. Shields block enemy arrows. The point here is that in the midst of hard circumstances, of getting wrapped up in lies and confusion, look to the God of the gospel. Look to the God who's working out all things for your good, the good of you who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. The helmet of salvation. Of course, the helmet would have protected the brain. The helmet of salvation is letting the reality of salvation, letting the reality of God's grace work itself through your mind. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, verse 17. The sword most definitely is offensive. The idea here is that God's Word, the good news, empowered by God's Spirit, is what pushes back the darkness. When Satan lies to us and says, you're no good, you're nothing, after what you did, could God ever love you? You'll always be that way. You'll never make a difference. We say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Greater is he who lives in me than he who lives in the world. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. We fight with his word, with truth. And finally, we see praying in the spirit, verse 18. Many times this isn't included in the weapons, but this is our main one. Prayer is where we put into practice what we believe about the gospel. It's where we say, God, I believe you are compassionate, just as the cross shows us on those grounds help. God, I believe you are powerful, just as the resurrection says you are on those grounds help. Putting on these pieces is a metaphor for putting on the gospel to clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ. That means taking what's true about us in the gospel, what God has done powerfully in our lives, and letting those things work themselves into our thinking, into our minds, into our spirits by the power of his spirit. In the Screwtape Letters, the classic book 
on this topic, C.S. Lewis says there are two equal and opposite errors you can fall into when thinking about demons and spiritual warfare. On the one hand, he says we can overestimate their power and strength. You can have an unhealthy interest or a fascination in them. You start saying everything is the devil. But on the other hand, you can underestimate their power and their strength. You cannot believe in them at all. You can completely ignore them. One is underbelief, one is overbelief. And Lewis ends that section by saying the devils are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Spiritual realities are real. But be reminded this morning, Jesus has all the power. He has all the authority. If this is in your life, look to the Son of God who died for you, who rose from the dead, who conquered death and will one day crush Satan under his feet. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.